Well, good morning. One of the things that I absolutely love about this church is its diversity. And I don't just mean diversity in the classic way we think about diversity, you know, in terms of how we look diverse and how we're diverse in terms of uh, the different places we come from to be in this Washington, D.C. area. But um, I mean the spiritual diversity as well. It's really rich here at Grace. And if you're new to Grace, you may not know this, but it's, it's one of my favorite things about the makeup of this church. So we've done a number of surveys through the years, and every time we have these two consistent numbers, there's a 60-40 uh, mix of folks, spiritually speaking, at Grace. And um, the 60% represents those people who have found Grace and were going to another church before going to Grace. And many of you, that's, you fit into that 60% category. You moved here and, and, you know, you were looking for a church and you were at another church and you came here and it's been great. But the 40% is, uh, is actually people who have come to Grace who were not going to church at all before coming to Grace. And there's two types of folks. There's people who literally had never been to church in their entire life before coming to Grace. And then there's those who haven't been to church in a very, very long time, and coming to grace was kind of coming back to faith, coming back to the church. And, um, and I think that that is just what makes uh, the church and, and so many of these relationships and conversations so rich, is that diversity. Um, I remember a little while back, we had someone who was coming to grace, and um, uh, we'll call her Stacy. Uh, so Stacy was coming, and she didn't believe in God at all. It was really interesting because um, she grew up in a house where she was basically taught that anything religious was evil. It was not to be trusted, and it was probably being used for some sort of harmful thing. And so um, she, she didn't believe in God, but, but really had a, a bent toward not trusting anything to do with, with faith at all. And so you may be wondering, what in the world was she doing at, at a church? Well, she heard that we were a church for people who don't go to church, and I guess something was, was missing in her life. She was, she was seeking, trying to discover something for herself as an adult. And um, so she, she started coming to Grace, and she really was enjoying being a part of the church. And so every week she was into it and, and was listening to the sermons and, and listening to the music. And um, we got her her first ever Bible, which was kind of fun. And, um, and so she starts reading the Bible. She was an avid reader. And so um, she was reading through, and we would have different conversations. And I'll never forget this one conversation that we had. Stacy said to me, she said, you know, Derek, I have to tell you something. She's like, I've read through a lot of the Bible now. And uh, just, just something that strikes me as very odd about God, as portrayed in the Old Testament of the Bible. She said, you know, God seems to be really concerned about himself. Can I just say that? Like, he's really wanting everyone to worship him. She said to me, she said, you know, you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four of the Ten Commandments all have to do with worshiping God. If you look at them, it's all about making God number one and nothing comes before God. And, you know, God is the one who, who, you know, is to be worshiped. And she said, you know, what's funny is that each time that people lose sight of that, each time that you, you, you read through the Old Testament and you see 
People who aren't doing what God says, who aren't obeying God's commands, who aren't putting God first, they're not worshiping God. You know what God does? God gets really upset. She's like, I mean, God is angry over this whole situation because you're not putting enough and giving enough attention to God. She's like, you know, it just seems like, and and I just love this about her. She just would say it like it was. She said, it just seems like God's kind of insecure. It's like God's needy. Like he just needs our attention and our worship and, you know, our devotion. And then she said, she said, you know, even Jesus kind of reinforces this a little bit. And I knew that was big for her. Because you see, she was, was very anti-religion and she was, didn't even believe in God at all, but she loved Jesus. And this is true for most people. No matter where they are, they, they love Jesus. And um, she was into the ethical uh, teachings of Jesus. She said, you know, even, even Jesus, I knew this was a big deal. She said, kind of mentions this a little bit. And she referenced um, this one account of Jesus' life written by uh, the tax collector Matthew, chapter 22, verses 37 through 38, where Jesus is asked by this teacher of the law, could you sum up all these commands for us? Like, we've got over 600 um, commandments of God that are in the Old Testament. Uh, Which one's the most important? It says, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And she said, you know, isn't that weird to you? And I was like, no. She's like, why do we have to be commanded to love God? <laughs> it's a commandment. Why is that? Why, why are we commanded to love God? She said, isn't God as portrayed in the Bible just an insecure egomaniac? <gasps> Some of you are like, oh my gosh, how did you handle that? How would I handle that? What would I do? Right? This is actually what I love about Grace Community Church. This is what I love about Grace. There's so much tension there. And maybe uh, those of you who are online, maybe you're feeling that tension with us right now. But I love the tension. See, the, the beauty of this church is that you can ask any question. There's nothing you're going to ask that is going to shock anybody. It's nothing that we haven't thought of before. There's no doubt or no big observation that you're going to make that, that is going to cause some sort of crazy disruption to the church. It's actually fair game. We, we welcome it. I love those kind of honest, hard questions about God and about faith. And in fact... Um, I don't know if it's kind of a sick and twisted thing about me, but instead of attempting to resolve that tension that Stacy had in that moment, I actually decided, you know what? I'm going to double down on that tension. I'm going to take it a little further. And so, um, so I actually said to her, I said, you know, you know what's interesting is that Jesus didn't just um, issue this, you know, talk about this command that we're commanded to love God. You know, he said some other really crazy things too. I just went for it. I said, you know, there, there were some times where we see Jesus in these accounts of his life where he's healing people. Some of you have read these accounts. You know, he's healing, he heals somebody. And then you know what he does? He turns and he goes, oh yeah, and you know what else? Your sins are forgiven. Yeah, that's right. Your sins are forgiven. And guess what? He doesn't mean just the sins that they might have committed against him. Like they said something offensive when he walked in or they didn't really believe that he was a very good teacher or whatever. No, no, no. Not the sins against Jesus. Jesus says all the sins, like everything you've ever done wrong to anybody else. 
Is that odd? You could forgive like someone's wrongs that they haven't even committed to you personally. This is what he did. And then he, he made these wild and crazy claims and statements. He said things like, I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. Let me tell you something. If I stood up here on this stage and I said to you guys, hey guys, I got some big news to share with you. I want to tell you something you guys don't know about me, okay? I'm actually the bread of life, guys. I'm the light of the whole world right here. You guys would say, that boy needs to get his head checked immediately. We have a major, major problem, right? So Jesus is talking to his disciples and um, he makes this audacious claim. So all this, you know, I'm talking to St- Stacy about this. I'm like, it, it gets worse in some respect for you, Stacy, because check this out. Jesus is recorded by uh, his disciple, John, one of those four accounts, chapter 14, verse nine. Jesus is quoted as saying, anyone who has seen me has seen the father. And we're not talking about Star Wars and Darth Vader and Luke Skywalker here. We're talking about Jesus saying, your heavenly father. If you've seen me, you've seen your father in heaven. Jesus is making a claim. He's saying, you've seen me, you've actually seen God in human flesh. Three verses earlier, Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. This is crazy, crazy. Jesus doesn't say, Hey, listen to my teachings and it'll show you the way. I'm going to show you the way to God. No, no, no. He says, I am the way. I am the way to God. He doesn't say, you know, I got some great truths and and I want to reveal those truths to you. I'm going to point you to the truth. No, he says, I actually am the embodiment of the truth. He doesn't say, you know what? I'm going to show you the good life. He says, I am the life. Literally, that life comes through me. It all flows through me. That's nuts. So I was kind of trying to just blow her mind a little bit. I'm like, you know, Jesus, he wasn't just some ethical teacher. He actually claimed to be God. And what we read about when we read through those four accounts of Jesus' life that are found in the New Testament. Everywhere Jesus went, people followed him, didn't they? They followed him because he taught with such authority that people were jaw-dropped over this guy. They couldn't believe it. And he would go around healing people and doing these miracles and signs and wonders. People would just clamor just to try and like touch his robe. This man was worshipped everywhere he went throughout his ministry life. And you know what? He didn't try and stop people from doing that. Next Sunday, a week from today, we celebrate Palm Sunday as we lead up the week before Easter. And um, Palm Sunday, we remember how Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and people were, you know, waved these palm branches and worshipped him. Jesus didn't put a stop to that. Jesus was completely fine with that. We have a time we see um, in one of the accounts where Jesus is at the house of a leper named Simon. And um, there's a woman who comes into the house with an incredibly expensive jar of perfume. And she takes this jar of perfume and she pours it on Jesus. 
the disciples completely freak out. And I get it. I get it. Like, when I go to a department store and I see that, like, perfume section of the department store, there's no way I'm going anywhere in that vicinity, right? Guy, who's with me, okay? Like, you just don't do that. You don't know what's going to happen over there. It's just, it's very scary. So, so I get it. They, they freaked out. But actually, that's not why they freaked out. It wasn't about the perfume, um, you know, the smell or anything like that. It was actually about the fact they said, Jesus, come on, what are you doing? We're all about the poor, right? I mean, this is the whole ministry. It's about the poor and the outcasts and the forgotten. We could have taken that perfume and we could have sold it and helped so many poor people. Come on, Jesus. Look at Jesus' response. Does he say, oh, you're right. I didn't even think of that. No. This is um, Matthew, the tax collector's account again, uh, chapter 26, verse 11. He says, the poor you will always have with you, but you will not always have me. Shocking words. He's basically saying, it's okay. In fact, this is a good thing. She was worshiping me. So here's the deal, guys. This is what I said to my friend Stacy. <laughs> so, what's the deal? Is it true that God is just an insecure egomaniac? The God of the Old Testament, even what maybe we see in Jesus? Is it true? Well, we're going to unpack that. Today is the final installment of this Trust Issues sermon series that we have been in. And we've been looking at these different names of God that tell us something about God and help us to trust God more. And so today we're looking at one last name that we find in the Hebrew, which is what the Old Testament was originally written in. And it is the name for God, El Elyon which means God most high. El meaning God and Elion meaning most high. And we find this, um, this word for God a number of times in the scriptures, including in the Psalms. And one that I will read for you is Psalm 57, verse two, which the psalmist writes in this prayer to God, I cry out to El Elion, or in the English, I cry out to God most high to God who vindicates me. So thinking about this name for a second, God most high. If God truly is most high, if God is above all things, is higher than anything we can possibly conceive, if God is holier and and far beyond us, the question is, isn't God worthy to be worshiped? I mean, we can say whatever we want about God, but isn't God worthy? I mean, isn't God entitled to be worshipped if he's truly the most high being that we can possibly fathom? I don't know about you, but I mean, I worship all kinds of things. One of the things that I worship is a great meal. Anybody with me? I mean, you know, you get that, you get that piece of meat that comes off the grill and it's just right. It's got the grill marks, man, and it's like sizzling. It hits the plate and it's plated with like the perfect uh, combination of different things. And you've got textures and colors and, and, and the aroma. I mean, you're, you're already worshiping before you've even taken a bite because your, your, your taste buds are already going crazy. In that moment, when I'm sitting before this meal, you guys, 
Worship is like the easiest thing in the world for me. I'm in full worship mode. This meal has my full attention and devotion. Or how about an incredible sporting event? I know you aren't all into sports, but man, it's March Madness, okay? It's basketball season. And even if you don't like basketball, it's the, it's the craziest tournament you'll ever see. And there is nothing like watching two teams come into the end of a game and they're evenly matched and it's back and forth and they're giving it everything they've got and it is just the most epic, incredible thing you've ever seen. I mean, that gets my absolute undivided devotion and attention. I can't tear myself away. I'm in full worship mode. Or how about your favorite vacation spot? Think of that spot and it just, it, life is just so good. Some of you, I just lost a bunch of you in the room right here because you're just, you're, you just were teleported there right now. But man, it's, it's not hard, is it? I mean, you're, you're there and, and that just gets your full attention, your full devotion. In fact, you obsess about it weeks and weeks before you even go there. You're thinking about it. There's tons of things we worship. It's not hard to worship those things, is it? Let's be honest. It's not hard, right? Why is it so easy to worship a great meal or a great sporting event or a great vacation spot? Well, you know why. Because those things do something for you, don't they? That meal, that sporting event, that vacation spot, it does something. I mean, you can't help but respond with your attention and devotion. You can't help but be in worship mode, right? You know what? It's the exact same thing with God. When we think about who God is and what God has done for us, we actually can't help but love God back. number of years ago, um, John Sly, who's our lead pastor, shared this definition of worship with me, and I just absolutely love it. Uh, I've never forgotten it. I think about it all the time, and I'll, I'll share it with you. He defined worship as simply loving God back. That's what worship is. When you worship God, you're just simply loving God back. You evaluate all the things that God has done for you. You evaluate who God is, and worship is simply an expression of what God has done for you, just loving God back. And so when you think about that, the question is, isn't God worthy of our worship when we consider all that God's done for us? I got to tell you, going back to this question, is God just some insecure egomaniac? Here's the deal. Let's just think, just think rationally for a minute. Can you imagine like, okay, so imagine you got your picture of God, okay? And most of us would maybe picture God in heaven somewhere, kind of, you know, like up here somewhere, right? And we just think about God and just think, okay, you wake up in the morning and there's God in heaven looking over you. And he's just like, oh man, I just, I hope that they say a morning prayer. I just, I really hope that they, you know, I just, man, and if they don't, I'm just going to be, oh, it's just going to kill me. And God's just up there and just looking down on all of us and it's just so incredibly needy and insecure, right? Just, just oh, I just, I just can't wait for, for, for this worship to happen. Is that, is that what your picture of God is? No, no. The reality is if God is God, God doesn't need anything. God is 
perfectly okay with or without our worship. God's not insecure. And here is the truth behind what's really going on with God commanding our worship. Our worship isn't for God. Worship is for us. That's why God's so upset when we completely lose sight of it all and we completely do our own stuff. It's not because God is needing the strokes and the, you know, and, and wanting to be all, you know, feeling good because we're worshiping him. He's loves us so much. And he's like, man, you've, you've lost sight of all the important things. Your focus is completely shifted. Worship isn't actually for God. Worship is God's gift to us. And the coolest thing was when uh, my friend Stacy realized this. So she continued to push into God she started to realize and she started to deconstruct kind of what she'd been told as a child about religion and about faith. And she started to become open to all these things, all these great things in her life that maybe God was responsible for those things. And as she opened herself up to that, more and more she just was filled with gratitude. Thank you, God, for all you've done for me. And so when that happened, she just started just to respond back the same way you would do a great meal or a great game or a great vacation spot. She just started to say, thank you, God. And it was a game changer for her. And I had the, the privilege of getting to see her come to faith uh, here at Grace. And um, it was just, it was amazing. Because what she discovered is that worship isn't something that God needs. It's not for God. Worship is for us. It's God's gift to us. So, listen, we could spend the rest of our time together talking about this subject of worship, but we're not going to do that. I want to do something completely different with our remaining time this morning. What I want us to do is not talk about worship anymore. You've, you've heard enough of me, but I want us to actually take time to do it. I want us to take time to worship God. Now, for some of you, that's a little terrifying. So just, it's going to be okay. We're not going to do any, anything crazy. Okay. So, so just, it's going to be a lot like what happens in the beginning of the service. All right. But we're going to really try and put a focus and an emphasis on this this morning. So I'm going to ask our music team if uh, you guys would, would come up on stage and uh, we are going to have a focus time where we focus in on God. Now I got to tell you guys something. This is really, really important, really important. Worship is way more than music and song, okay? It is way more than that. In fact, worship is actually this idea of loving God back. It's what we do with our entire lives. How we live our entire lives actually is how we worship God. But this time, time where you spend time focusing on God and who God is and, and you, you, you set it to music and you sing songs. It is a powerful, powerful thing. And so we're going to take some time to do that. Now, there are some of you and you love to sing. You're like, Man, this is awesome. Oh, this is great. This is the greatest thing ever. Okay. You just sing to your heart's content. It's going to be fantastic. Others of you, you're like, yeah, you know, I'm not really into the whole singing thing. I don't really have much of a good voice or just music's not really my, my number one thing. Here's what I want to challenge you to do, okay? What we're trying to do is create a sacred space where you would be able to push into who God is. 
where you could spend some time really just focusing on God and why this is so important, so important. You don't have to sing. Just, just look at the words. It's okay. Just use it as a time to reflect, meditate, pray, whatever. It's cool. Just, just let it wash over you quietly. But the reason why we're doing this is because, listen, we can get so focused on ourselves, can't we? We can be so consumed by our, our, the problems we're facing, the issues that we're having right now, and, and our, our focus becomes so limited and so narrow. And maybe what we need to do is to take some time to expand on that focus, to, to put our focus on the God who loves us. And in this moment, here's what I just want to encourage you to do. To focus in on God's power, God's purposes, and God's promises. On who God is and not what we're going through right now. Because you see, it's so easy to forget what we've just been covering the last eight weeks here in this series on who God is. We can forget that there is a God there who loves us, who made us, who gave us life and sustains us. We can lose sight of the fact that there's a God who gives our lives purpose and meaning. There's a God who actually fights for us in the midst of what we're going through. That there's a God who loves us unconditionally, no matter what. And there's a God who wants the best for us and wants to make us better, even if that means it's going to be some hard work to get there. And as we talked about last week, that there's a God who is always with us, who never leaves us, never forsakes us, no matter where we go and no matter what we do. So we're gonna just take these next few moments to take the focus off of ourselves and to focus on God and who God is. Let's pray together. God, we just wanna thank you for who you are. Thank you for all you have done for us. God, help us to love you back. Not just in moments like these, God, but with the entirety of our lives. We thank you, God. We love you. And we pray these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.